You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host in Oklahoma City today with uh, two past OKC Energy players, um, Cody Andrews and Michael Thomas. Thanks for taking the time out to be on the podcast, boys. Thank you. Yeah. So... Energy soccer, obviously, it's getting much bigger and bigger and bigger. It's it's amazing to see the growth that it's had since it's come in. And you guys have been there from day one. Michael, you were first signing, um, which is pretty awesome to have that, right? You should probably have that signed somewhere <laughs> in your office. I, I would. Uh, but no, it's it's cool to see. You know, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen all the growth and, and just kind of where the team's, you know, grown and what it is now, making playoffs and just kind of the few coaches that have gone through. And, you know, you I guess you get to be like OKC Energy alumni, right? Mm-hmm. You're still involved in it. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's go back and just kind of – Tell us a little bit about stories. You know, we, are you Oklahomans? Did you grow up here or, or stuff like that? What, when did you guys start? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Olathe, Kansas, about 20 minutes south of Kansas City, Kansas. Um, played for a pretty uh, good youth soccer club, Kansas City Legends, growing up. Uh, was blessed to have a fantastic group of teammates. We were all really good friends off the field, so I feel like that always helped us. Uh, continue to be really competitive uh, on the field. And uh, a lot of the same players went to the same high school. So I went to St. Thomas Aquinas High School. Um, pretty pretty dominant force up there in Kansas City. We won three state championships in high school, and my club team won a bunch of state championships too. So I was always blessed to be on a, a pretty competitive team. Um, got a uh, scholarship to University of Notre Dame, played there for three and a half years. Got drafted to the San Jose Earthquakes in 2010, and then uh, about two weeks into the preseason, coach came up, to, or I'm sorry, the my agent came up to me and said, hey, there's an opportunity to go and play in Sweden on trial. Um, I'm a diehard Liverpool fan. I started, you know, watching them uh, in 2000, 1999, 2000, um, and it was my goal to always play overseas, and so getting the opportunity to play in Sweden uh, was something that I didn't want to pass up, and we were talking about it before this, but, um, you know, I got off the plane and zero degree weather and I came from California. So I was kind of like, what am I doing right now too? It was dark, you know, 17 hours out of the day. And it was honestly, it was horrible for the first few months, but the trial went really well. Ended up playing in Sweden for two years um, with Homestads BK and then Young Sheila Esco. Um, my second year there went pretty good, um, and Sporting Kansas City was keeping tabs on me. It being my local, you know, club and hometown. Um, ended up signing with them for two years. Played with Sporting for two years. Incredible opportunity to play in in front of my friends, family, hometown, etc. Um, gained a great relationship with Jimmy Nielsen at the time. Um, he was the MVP and team captain for Sporting KC. And I was kind of a squad player. I always thought that I could have been playing more, but it just didn't it didn't happen, right? So yeah. I was able to get some good games, um, but I was kind of one of the, I'd say the leaders of the reserve team, but always kept a good head on my shoulders. Uh, you know, I pride myself on my work ethic and just getting the job done. And I think that Jimmy and I, uh, I think Jimmy respected that um, at the time since, you know, it's good to see kids, players, whoever go through adversity and how they handle it. And so after my time with sporting, Jimmy got the head coaching job with the energy and, um, you know, said, called me up and said, Michael, you know, there's there's one person I thought of right away uh, to get this team, you know, kind of built around. And, you know, would you like to come down here and sign with the energy? And at the time it was kind of a, you know, a 
I'd say a little bit of an ego hit just because I always envisioned, you know, playing for Liverpool overseas or playing at the highest level possible and going to the USL was just one of those where it's like, man, is this the right thing for me? And it was. It was the best decision I could have ever made coming to Oklahoma City and uh, the opportunity that I was given, um, you know, to be the first signing and team captain. It was, you know, it's something I'm very proud of. Had a really good three years here, uh, playing here, I should say. And then in 2016, uh, my uh, contract was up and didn't uh, get renewed, and it is what it is. I was getting my MBA at the time and, you know, uh, graduated with a degree in uh, entrepreneurship and special, I specialize in entrepreneurship in the MBA program. And now I'm here. So that was kind of the path yeah. to stick around in, uh, in Oklahoma City and uh, coached a lot during that time and got really involved with the community. And now that's why I think uh, I'm here, especially, is I've been given an awesome opportunity to continue to stay here and stay involved. Yeah. So that's my story. You've been all over then, pretty much. Been all over, yep. Um, I'll tell you, playing overseas was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, um, not only for, you know, a uh, playing experience, professional experience, but just a life experience, you know, getting involved in a different culture, learning a different language. And, you know, the Swedes, I still have so many great friends over there. They're fantastic people. I mean, they, yeah. they know how to live their life in a, in a fun way. So incredible experience there. Kansas City was, you know, a dream come true playing for my hometown team and then being in Oklahoma. City, I, I really do enjoy it here. I think there's a lot of great opportunity uh, as an individual outside of soccer after you know yeah. soccer life too. Yeah. So, that's awesome, Cody. What about you? Um, my story is quite a bit different than that, uh, but I have to brag on Michael. I think um, I I think he undersold himself a little bit. I grew up in Kansas City as well, um, and so I was. He grew up in Olathe. I grew up in Shawnee, which was I don't know ten minutes apart from each other. And, um, you know, I played rec soccer from like six to 10 and, uh, was, you know, one of the better rec soccer players, not knowing really what that meant and, um, thought I would make the jump to club soccer. A couple of my buddies once, you know, my, my coach was a dentist. He wasn't really a, a super strong soccer background guy. And, uh, we, you know, made, decided to make the jump, um, to competitive soccer and I got to this team, it was KCFC, which is the rivals of the team that at the time, uh, which was rivals of the team that Michael played on. And uh, I made the second team and I was the worst player on the second team. And I had no, no idea why I was the worst player, but I was terrible. Uh, and, and it really bothered me because I was, I always kind of envisioned myself as a guy that, you know, was a winner and wanted to play and I just couldn't keep up with those guys. And mm-hmm. so uh, I ended up leaving soccer for about six years, um, came back. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I played baseball for a lot. I mean, I was whatever. I played a bunch of other sports yeah. like everybody. Uh, came back to competitive soccer at 16 um, I, when I quit baseball and uh, decided, you know, my parents were just like, well, if you're not going to play baseball, you have to do something other than high school soccer. You have to be, you know, have to have to have some extracurriculars. And so mm-hmm. I decided to kind of follow my buddy to a one club team, Kansas City Legends, which was at the same time, Michael's a 88 and I'm an 89. Um, he was playing on the first team for the 88s and i I came into the club on the second team, um, for the 89s, uh, very quickly. I, I don't know why. Um, I did a lot of luck I got, got an opportunity to go in, up to the first team within the first month or two and, uh, you know, played there. I mean, it had some success there. We had a really good team. It wasn't as strong as Michael's team. Michael's team was, was crazy. And, and everybody knew, and I, once again, I'm going to talk uh, highly about Michael here, but he, everybody knew who Michael was. Michael was like the guy. It was yeah. like him and Matt Beasler. And, you know, there's a couple other guys that fell off the train a little bit, but they were, you know, Michael was always in those conversations. He was high school Gatorade player of the year. 
um, every time we play, you know, like, I mean, it's just, you, you just knew Michael and then he gets yeah. a big scar. It, it's the little fantasy that kids have like, oh, I'm gonna go to Notre Dame and have like the Rudy story or whatever it was. It, it was just weird, right? Yeah. I'm gonna, and so uh, getting to play against guys like that, um, for me, starting to develop and get in there was like, it was, I was awestruck. I never felt like I belonged there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so that happened. The, the the second team coach I came for with the Kansas City Legends, his name's Kevin Wardlaw. Uh, to this day, he might be one of my favorite people on the planet. He he was my mentor, kind of pushed him. He, he was a head coach of a school called Mid-American Nazarene University in Olathe. And uh, he goes, hey, man, um, I don't know what your options are, but if you want to come play college for, for me, you know, I, I can give you a little scholarship money and, you know, we'll, we can get you in there. And I said, okay, I'll take it. You know, I thought that'd be cool. Uh, ended up having a pretty good freshman year there. Um, played played a, a lot of games, started a lot of games uh, as a as a freshman in, in the NI, and um, opened up an opportunity for me to go to Cleveland in the summer. That summer, so eighteen to nineteen, I went to Cleveland and played for the reserve team of a professional team called the Cleveland City Stars. And the Cleveland City Stars played in the USL. USL has been around a while. It's changed quite a bit. The landscape is much different than it used to be. But uh, played for the reserve team for uh, that team and got to be around some of the professional environments. And at 19, I decided that I wanted to play professional soccer. And um, and then from that point forward, it, I just kind of uh, put the put my goggles on and went straight at it. So um, ended up uh, having to leave Mid America. Uh, it was my decision to try to leave Mid American Nazarene and try to get into a position where I was going to be um, kind of more in the limelight. So I went to the Division One school. In, in Kansas City, just really lucky. Just some guys who I played with uh, um, that ended up just apparently liking. I didn't think I was good enough. These guys were really, really good players. Played pro for uh, a long time and, uh, you know, like U.S. national futsal team guys, like really good players. Uh, and they wanted me to come play in at UMKC because that's where they were at and um, ended up making the jump there. It was it was really weird. Had a great couple seasons. And then uh, the head coach, Kim Rumpfed, which is a kind of a Danish uh, legend. And so Jimmy Nielsen's also a, a Danish legend. But Kim Rumpfed and Kim Rumpfed's brother, brother Danish le- his son, Cole, played on UMKC. And then Kim got the head coaching job at Kansas City Comets, which was with the Major League Indoor team. And he came out to the games, and at that point, it was like me and uh, a guy named Sosa and a guy named Brian Perez that as we were getting ready to leave college soccer, he was like, he was looking at us to bring in uh, uh, Brian Harris, I believe, as well. Yeah, Brian Harris. Yeah. And um, so at that point, I, I went to uh, I went to the the started training with them a little bit, and um, he got me. I mean, we, I, and I, I just signed with them. I got invited to this regional combine thing. Uh, thought I did pretty well. Nothing really, nothing really was landed, and uh, ended up finishing the that season with the comments. Um, then trained a little bit with Sporting, uh, in and out, kind of when they needed numbers over that summer. Uh, played again with the Comets that next year, and then made the jump to. I finished my schooling. I wasn't done with my schooling, so Michael got done in three and a half. I got done in four and a half. Um, once again, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Over yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hated him. That guy yeah. sucks. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> anyway, and then made the jump uh, to the USL at that point. I got lucky. Went on a tryout. Uh, basically, it was an agent kind of like position tryout, and uh, played a couple years up in Pennsylvania. Um, had some opportunities. I was in Columbus for a little bit and tried to train with them and, and get in and then was with Philadelphia for a little bit, but mostly was just the USL teams and, um, you know, never really, never really made the punch through. Um, had some, had, I, from my opinion, I had some things that 
uh, I, you know, I was kind of happy to be there. I, I've always, like, I always felt like I shouldn't be around these kinds of players. Yeah. And so, like, the opportunities I got, I never really felt like I belonged with that caliber player. Um, and so I was, I was always that guy. I always wanted to be that guy. I, I thought I was a great right-hand man or, like, a, a kind of a great, like, player to support the top players. Yeah. Uh, but I never viewed myself as a top player. Get to Harrisburg and start playing in Harrisburg. We, I mean, we have a lot of success. We go to a championship, almost win. Um, and then at that point, for whatever reason, I start becoming one of the guys. Like, I'm one of the guys uh, on the field that people kind of look to, uh, which doesn't make me – I don't know how I felt about that. It wasn't super comfortable. wasn't uncomfortable. But uh, it was a different role because I never imagined myself as that player, yeah. uh, even in a professional level. So, And the guys were really, really good players, really good players. So, anyway, long story short, um, played a couple years there, tried to make a jump, um, ended up not making it. So I tried to make a jump to Philadelphia, ended up uh, getting released out of the preseason. And um, I was, you know, at that point I was, what, 25, 26? And I was thinking, I'm, I'm kind of done playing soccer. And uh, lo and behold, I knew Jimmy a little bit from the trainings that I had in sporting. And uh, there was uh, conversations with other players around the league that knew me and that were on the team. I think Gareth was part of that. And uh, Michael hated me. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and so, it, yeah, just, again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was done. I went to San Antonio for a little bit and uh, didn't really enjoy San Antonio. Uh, that was the NAI Salsa, the Scorpions. And, um, you know, I get a call from... I don't even remember who it was. We got a call from somebody inside the Oklahoma City office saying, hey, I understand that you're kind of bouncing around a little bit. I'm getting, you're getting ready. To, if you're getting ready to hang up the boots, consider Oklahoma City. I think there was an injury that happened. Mark Howard. Mark Howard had, yeah, Mark Great Howard, selling point, yeah, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if you're thinking of hanging up your boots, yeah, yeah. just come well, and try yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Please. Come exactly. Please. Well, yeah. it wasn't, we'll it wasn't like they were actively looking for me. Well, I think what happened was, is, you know, Mark Howard went out with, a, Mark Howard is, a, he's still in Oklahoma City. He's a great dude. Uh, unbelievable guy. He has, he's a UEFA, I don't know if he, I, can, I don't know if I can say UEFA. He's an A-licensed coach, whatever standard okay. that is. Um, played for Manchester United, played in, um, played in, Denmark for yeah. some Oberg. Yeah. He was a very good player. Very good player. Yeah. Anyway, he went out with an ankle injury. Yeah. And they needed a center back. And so it, I just happened to be the guy in that spot. So it was a good fit for me. Yeah. Uh, came up here, loved it. It was it was really really good. Um, had really f- I had had a lot of fun here for the last uh, playing with him for you know three and a half four years and mm-hmm. um, and now I'm here and so yeah yeah that's awesome yeah that it's, was it's it, funny to hear that like. Michael is kind of like the guy that you looked up to a little bit and was like the guy growing up because we all know, we all have a mutual friend, Brownie. Yeah. Brownie was that guy for me. Brownie. Yeah, because yeah. like he was like back home in our hometown, so we played like against each other and he was just like, oh, John's going there, he's going to sign for Cardiff, he's going somewhere else and, you know, playing for Wales and you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And we're just like, great, got to play against John tomorrow. Like, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And Steve's always, dad's always awesome and always, you know, Brownie's very humble, so he never had a bit of a head on his shoulders. Yeah. But still, like everyone saw him as like, oh, he's going somewhere kind yeah. of thing. And luckily for me, I turned to golf, so I got <laughs> yeah. out the way of that. But um, what do you guys think when you first kind of showed up in Oklahoma City? Um, for me, um, I remember sitting down with uh, the assistant coach at the time, Chris Spinlove. He's from Liverpool. Um, kind of a, a when I asked him, you know about his story and why are you know did you plan on being in Oklahoma City forever you know he wanted to play soccer for three and a half years and went to OCU and and get out or four years whatever it was and he just told me you know 
MT, there's something about Oklahoma City that just grabs you and keeps you here. Well, me being from Kansas City and my brother living in Dallas, um, you know, 10 years ago, I'd always drive through Oklahoma City and honestly look over and think, who would live here? Yeah. Like, it's just out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, it was very ignorant of me at the time, but um, I didn't know what to expect. And the one thing that I've been you know, humbled about is just the people here. I, I really enjoy the environment and the community. Um, it reminds me a lot of Kansas City. My like quote that I always say is that Oklahoma City uh, is Kansas City 10 years ago. It's an up and coming city. Seems to be a lot of investment right now, of course, in the downtown areas, different pockets of the of the community. Um, there's a lot of growth potential for us, you know, young professionals right now and hitting back on the first thing is just the people. Um, so I planned on playing here for a year and getting out. Um, and now I've been here for almost almost six years and five and a half years right now. And it's I love it here. So um, it definitely exceeded my expectations and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, so that's kind of my little story right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I wanted, if I was going to continue playing uh, with kind of in that conversation piggybacking, I wanted to be close to home just important so Oklahoma City for me was pretty much the exact same thing Michael said it was uh it's the same kind of pace as Kansas City it's kind of what we're accustomed to um the people here are awesome we were I think me and Michael were very fortunate to uh meet the people we did kind of really close to getting here uh we met a lot of really strong uh awesome people in Oklahoma City within a couple months of being here and um pulled us in, kind of took us under uh, their wing a little. I would say that, you know, not seriously, but, they, you know, they, they, they kind of supported us and, and wanted to see the best for us, and they're just, you know, awesome people. And it makes it a lot easier to have uh, a sense of purpose and placement when you have people around you that support and, you know, love you that aren't your immediate family. So right. uh, that's what I was really pulled to. Um, I think the organization from the energy from the top down is, I mean, Bob Funk, Tim McLaughlin um, are great people, absolutely phenomenal people. And uh, I really enjoyed playing for them as a player. You know, you don't get to interact with them all the time, but as an owner, um, <clears throat> their behavior towards the players and the organization is everything you want to see as a player. So that was that was really fun for me to, to be a part of that. And then Jimmy was also an unbelievable human. You know, yeah. He's a really good guy. It's definitely an Oklahoma thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I felt the same way when I came here, too. I'm like, why do these people care so much? Like, they've never <laughs> met me. I've been here four weeks or whatever it is, yeah. you know? And that's, but it's great. Like I said, you know, you, you get welcomed in. And especially, I don't know what it's like with any other clubs, but, you know, having that closer relationship with the guys that own the whole team and, like, is that kind of normal? I don't know. I, I haven't been a part of a team like that. I don't know if you have. I, I, I think that um, from day one, you could just tell the um, emotional investment from the ownership group. Um, and like what Cody said, honestly, them bringing in Jimmy Nielsen was the best decision they could have ever made. Mm-hmm. The Jimmy was definitely a player's coach. Um, he brought in a group of players who might not have been like considered the most elite players in the whole nation, but a group of players who would all fight for each other and fight for their 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 coach mm-hmm. um from day one he yeah. did that and that's what i think helped uh, us be successful on the field and it was kind of that oklahoma city or midwest us being from kansas city kind of mentality towards it's a brotherhood even though we're playing at 
the professional level, you know, the brotherhood is what's going to help us succeed as a team, right. not the individual. And Jimmy was fantastic at that mm-hmm. for our, for the three years that I was there yeah. and, and the year after that, for sure. So yeah. you got to give huge credit to, to them for, for bringing in a coach like that. Um, and as well, like you said, um, Tim McLaughlin and Bob Funk, I mean, our first ever practice, Tim, you know, was there, you know, introduced himself and sat and watched practice for, you know, an hour and a half when he could have yeah. probably had more things to do that day, but at the same time, he's just, he's always, they are always present, I should say. So, and I think that that goes a long way too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you guys have like a favorite moment you've played for like while you played for the energy? Is there anything yeah. that stands yeah, out? Yeah, I do too. <laughs> it might be the same one, so I'll let you go first. No, you're going to, you're going to talk about the Colorado one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll take, I'll, you, you do that one. I'll, I got another one. Well, do you have RGV? RGB was a good. So I'll one. talk about RGB right, then. I got my I got a favorite Michael story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go real quick. So it was 2015. Um, we had a very very good team. Um, we were the best team in the league that year for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously we didn't win the championship, so it's hard to say that. Um, but we made it to the uh, conference semis. Um, we actually had a night out as a team because we found out that we got a bye within the playoffs. And then we needed Colorado to win um, that night to make mm. sure that we had that bye. And all the boys were out having some water and a yeah. good time. Enjoying uh, themselves. Yeah. And when Colorado ended up winning, I think that's it was it was a very memorable night for us because we knew that we had that bye. We were going to play at Taft Stadium in the playoffs with an opportunity to go to the conference finals. Ironically, we ended up playing Colorado. Um, very emotional game. Uh, they scored first in the, fi- in the first five minutes, and we scored right before halftime. And we scored in overtime to go up, you know, two one. Then they scored two minutes later, so it goes into PKs. Yeah. Um, I think there were seventy five hundred fans at Taft that game, so it was just the environment. You could tell that the city was really behind the team that that game, and we ended up winning on PKs. And it was just that, that it was a very emotional game, a lot of highs, uh, a lot of you know ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but definitely one of the most memorable for me as a player. Um, and of course, you know, then we go and lose the next game, so that kind of stuff. But, um, but sorry, but the next year. RGV, my last year with the Energy, we played them in the in the was it the conference quarters, first round of the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they were they probably were really the best good. Team. They were the best, team. and that's Rio Grande Valley. Rio, Rio Grande Valley, yeah. first year, the inaugural season. It was they were really really good. Houston did a good job with their partnership. They're incredible, there. Yeah. yeah. And we uh, we went there. I think we played their three or played them three times that year, and we could we they handled us every single game. I mean, they were very Chasing good. Chasing shadows. Yeah. And so we, uh, we, what, what we had, um, we had like a six game streak at the very end of the season where we could not just get a win. I mean, we were emotionally, me and Cody were sitting there every single game thinking like, what's going on? Like we yeah, have a good team. A lot of we're ties. Just, we're losing. Yeah, we're we're losing. just a lot, not, not, not a lot of confidence in the locker room. Anyways, we go down there and we pull out like the, the like a miracle of miracles i mean they're they're dominating us but we're just we're, we had a very good philosophy that game just yeah. sit in be compact and got one on the run tied them up one one and then of course what happens is they score two minutes later again so two one so two one with you know 10 minutes left and we're just going we're going we're pushing guys forward pushing guys forward um get into extra time it's two to one and we get a goal we nick a goal Connor, uh, Colin Bonner Colin. two two and so we're like okay we can do this and you could feel kind of their confidence just yeah gosh you know it's it's over or something this isn't good because Oklahoma City Energy always figures out a way to right sneak one out yeah one minute later, corner kick, 93rd minute, Bonner scores again. We, 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 we went three to two. Yeah. And that feeling for me was going back to the brotherhood that I talked about, you know, at the beginning of this was we were the only ones there with probably 
30 supporters, Tim McLaughlin yeah, being one of Tim them McLaughlin and his, yeah. his sons. Groups down, yeah. <laughs> and it was just us in front of probably two or 3,000 fans. Yeah. And that moment was just so relieving as, you know, we had been through, again, so many ups and downs during the, the last seven, eight games there to just prove to yourselves that you can, you know, come out on top through that adversity mm-hmm. was definitely probably my favorite moment as an energy player i was so excited when bonner scored that i was running to celebrate with him i started almost taking off my shirt as if i won it was freaking weird you watch the video i'm like what am i doing so but that was those were my favorites yeah so, sorry yeah it's tough to top those we have a lot of funny moments um those those are the those are the two moments that stick out you know and obviously you have your own personal goals that um you know, for me, uh, me and Sip uh, had a really good relationship at the center back. And so, you know, like our our favorite moments as an individual, I guess, you know, being a, a, a good teammate, you know, we're, you know, matching up against some of the best strikers in the right. league and then shutting them down. Um, you know, the RGV game and that game, um, they they were so technical that they never played the ball in behind, like over the top. Yeah. Uh, and they had it. They played with a false nine, really. So they dropped down their nine and their ten, basically on the same line. And what was happening is that we would kind of give them that space because they could thread in in between our our defensive mids and our center backs, and then they could turn and, and operate pretty well. But if you if you stepped late you were going to get torched. Yeah. And so it was a really big issue. So me and Sit before that game were really talking about, we went and I remember uh, that the day of the game, we sat and watched film for like an hour and a half, two hours, just us. Yeah. And we're like, if they do this, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And essentially what we decided to do was just hold the line with the 10. And so we, we didn't worry about the nine and uh, we, we, we stepped our line completely, gave Michael a little bit more, because um, Michael was a worker. I mean, the guy would run 10, 11, 12 miles a game. And uh, if we did not step that line, he had so much more space to, to cover. And so those little moments like that and like seeing it work yeah. um, outside of, you know, it was just me and Sip taking responsibility for it. Uh, that, that was really fun. Uh, we played a game in Vancouver. Another really funny story. We played a big game in Vancouver. This is a funny story for me. It's what I think about sometimes with Michael. Uh, Michael could get worked up sometimes. But it, it was always respectable. Uh, we were losing in Vancouver. I think it was playoffs. I think it was playoffs. And KG was on the team. Uh, so Kyle Gregg played for Oklahoma City Energy for a while. Great player. He plays for St. Louis now. Uh, he's, he's really, really good. But he played for Vancouver, uh, made the first team up there, and uh, was bouncing in between the first team and the second team. And um, Some play happens deep in the second half, deep in the second half, and uh, Kyle's a, a, a true nine. He's a, he's a guy that gets in behind. He's a very fast, athletic guy. He dropped down, and my, <laughs> Michael wanted to make a play <laughs> into the midfield, and the ball comes running across. And I... Kyle, Greg, and Michael are like really good friends, like like yeah. really good friends, uh, and we were not in a position to lose this game, and we were losing. And Michael comes across the field and just wrecks KG. I mean, just cuts sm- him in half, just smashes him. Uh, yeah, and and I should have been there. Should have been there. And I'm and I'm looking at the field. And I'm like, oh my god, like this is it was really. So I'm looking at, back at some of the funny times and watching Michael smash his best friend to try to get a win in the, you know, those, those are just kinds of things that you don't coach, you right. know, it's just, it's just, that was kind of fun to see. Yeah. Anyway. To be fair, I was trying to play the ball. Oh, of course. It's always the ball. the ball. I mean, right? yeah, I got his knee, but it yeah. was, yeah. <laughs> uh, have either of you had any like sending offs or anything like that? Any funny sending off stories, double yellows, anything like that? <laughs> 
Anything that comes to mind? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I got one. <laughs> it involves both of us. So, <laughs> Great. Oh, yeah. We, oh, yeah. This uh, is we're a playing good uh, in San Antonio our second our second year or third year. I think it was our third year. It was 2016. 16. Yeah. Um, and ball goes up in the air, and uh, Danny Koenig, our forward, and the goalkeeper, Josh Ford, who I played against in college a lot. He went to the University of Connecticut. Good guy. Um, 50-50 between them, and for some reason, you know, after the ball goes away, Josh turns to Koenig, our forward, and kind of holds him in a headlock and pushes him away. Well, <laughs> for some reason, Cody was the was first right one there. there. Yeah. And so Cody, you know, goes to play Peacemaker, and it was a very intense moment. I'm making it a little bit lighter than it was. but And all of a sudden, Josh just goes after Cody and, you know, just punches him in the face. <laughs> and my initial, you know, teammate, you know, best friend, you know, instinct <laughs> takes over, and I just run at Josh. And I grab him from behind and basically just throw him to the ground. Yeah. Not really thinking that there's, you know, eight San Antonio players and it's me, Cody, and Koenig. Yeah. And so me and Josh are on the ground and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm saying. I think I was like, I had to, I had to. I'm sticking up for my teammate. I had to. <laughs> there's like seven guys on top of me. Well, before you know it, you know, Cody Lorendi, our yeah. massive uh, six foot two, 250, no, 215 pound goalkeepers um, up there yeah. just holding off like six two guys. 235. Yeah. 230. Yeah. 235. Yeah. Split the difference. No foul. Split the difference. Yeah. And so, anyway, so, I mean, just shenanigans for like three minutes. Everybody's pushing each other. There's probably a few. There's there's some there's some punches there. Well, I'm the one who gets the red card because the referee told, you know, or the assistant referee told the referee that I headbutted the guy while I was on the ground. And I'm sitting there talking to them about how there's eight guys on top of me and you're giving yeah. me a red card saying that I headbutted the guy. It, the referee was cheating. I'm going to say it. It was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. They, you know, Josh got a red card, too, for punching code. And I yeah. think that he just felt like he had to even it out since there was such a melee. But um, I Brilliant. felt really cool um, for a minute. <laughs> you looked cool. And then I watched it on film, and it's like slow motion as I'm taking down the goalie. It was kind of embarrassing. But I, I stick, sticking up for my teammate and my friend. Yeah. So yeah. Hey. that was my fun red card. Like, this is something for the UFC. Yeah. I'm, I'm like throwing him over my shoulder. I feel cool. Exactly. And then you exactly. Watch it and you're like, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I threw him at least 10 yards in my head, and then <laughs> I just, he just fell on top of me. <laughs> that was my red card. Yeah. So well, you said, yeah, you both obviously had a great time playing for the energy. Um, and then, you know, it comes to the time where, like I said, you grow, you're getting out of it a little bit, and, you know, your contracts aren't renewed, which is, I'm sure, a difficult time because, like, what am I going to do now? Um, you know, some players put stuff in place so they know what they're going to do after, others don't. Um, what kind of was the plan for you guys? Did you, you know, did you kind of have a plan or was it just like, oh, okay, now let's figure it out? Um, I'll start. I, um, <clears throat> so when I came to Oklahoma City, uh, that was, I was getting engaged at the time. Um, and I realized that uh, I wasn't going to be able to retire on my USL salary. So um, I needed. Shame. <laughs> uh, I needed all those, all those Premier League bastards. I, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Half a million a week. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Just um, under what we made in a year. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> just under. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so you know, I was uh, I was a finance guy. I, well, I got my finance degree, a finance guy in college, whatever that means. Um, and then interned with Merrill Lynch a little bit in college. So I decided I'll just try to do some wealth management stuff when I when I get uh, ready. To do so, I started segueing that way as soon as I played. Um, as soon as I started playing, and uh, here in Oklahoma City, met with a guy who owned a f fairly large financial services firm, and 
you know, I got licensed and, you know, advisory stuff and all that stuff. And I was doing that as I was playing, not really like actively doing it, but just if soccer were to end tomorrow, you know, how was I going to support? You could pay the bills. I could at least try. Um, and then, so that's, that was my thought process. Got really lucky, uh, throughout the course of just meeting good people. Ended up, um, ended up being another gentleman who owned a, a financial services firm, um, and then it was just kind of the uh, really high level financial services firm. And then through our, our, our connections and uh, just, you know, kind of putting yourself out there and trying to be a good worker and, and develop a skill set, which is really what I'm um, what I would encourage players who, especially in the USL, even the MLS, who, you know, you're going to have to do something out of it. If, if soccer is not what you're going to stay in, if you're not going to be a coach, if you're not going to mm-hmm. try to be in the front office, whatever it is, really develop a skill set um, while you're playing. You have the time to do it, whether that's, you know, an, an accounting background, whether that's a marketing background, an advertising background, uh, know what you're doing. It, it, the, it just, it's just going to be a huge help for you to walk into a, a, a a company or whatever you want to do. So, um, yeah, I got lucky. I met a guy named, uh, Justin Brown, who, um, who is currently the director of DHS. And, um, he had a project that he, he was working on and couldn't spend the hours doing it. And, um, he wanted me to come in and kind of run it. And I, I, there, there was a great opportunity. So I decided to kind of jump what I was doing and and hop in with Justin Brown and his Mm -hmm. team here and, um, really enjoying it as I'm very, very fortunate. Yeah. And Michael, you said you went to school for entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. So uh, my undergrad was in psych and pre-med at Notre Dame. I really wanted to get into physical therapy. Um, I just I just always had an interest in that. Um, since I didn't really have any stability throughout my professional career playing overseas and going to Kansas City, there was never really time to commit to PT school or med school as much as I wanted to. Um, so, you know, kind of like Cody was saying, at the age of 26, when I, uh, when I first signed with the energy, that's when I started thinking, okay, you know, soccer's not going to last forever. I always knew that of course, but you know, it's time to start getting involved, um, and preparing for life after soccer to, to show your future employer or somebody who believes in you that, you know, you weren't just sitting around and playing soccer, living that dream. Um, but really pushing yourself to exceed those expectations again and, and challenge yourself outside of your comfort zone. Um, and so for me, I just, you know, I kind of, took a step back. My parents are both entrepreneurs, um, you know, and analyzed kind of my situation. I, I love the idea of entrepreneurship. Um, I, um, so in just business administration, uh, our first year with the energy kind of being, you know, seeing from the behind the scenes coaching and management and the front office, everything that goes into what, you know, the energy was trying to, you know, well, where they're at now trying to get to, mm-hmm. um, it was really intriguing to me. And so I thought about, you know, okay, could I get my MBA and specialize in entrepreneurship? And that's exactly what I did. So, um, I just wanted to separate my, it was kind of a personal goal for me. Um, but I wanted to separate myself from, from those that have been in the, you know, air quote, real world for the past five years, getting experience and, and trying to put myself on the same level as them or on a level close to them. Um, and so that was my mindset. And, um, School is great, but I do think that just getting involved and preparing for life after soccer is the best thing that I could have done that anybody can do. Um, You know, entrepreneurship is what I specialize in, but now I'm, you know, the GM of a sports facility. I didn't think that I would ever be doing that, but I am, and I feel prepared and I feel ready. And I, you know, I 
I'm, I feel like we're doing okay up there, which I'm, I'm proud of. So, um, I just, I do think it's very important for anybody, whether you're playing at the highest level or lowest level to not think too nearsighted and really start engaging and, um, getting prepared for, for the future for sure. Yeah. So. so that brings you like to where you are now, like I said, you're manager of, of this facility and now you guys have this business between you, which is soccer allies. Mm-hmm. Right. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, how did that come about first? I'll start for just a second and then I'll let Cody, um, get into it. So, uh, my first year with the energy, another Kansas city kid that, um, you know, that both Cody and I knew growing up weren't, you know, and again, Cody and I really didn't know each other growing up. We, you know, formed a great he knew you. He looked at you. Well, and he, I knew him. We, we, you were on the wall. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't. Yeah, we didn't know each other. Really. I did not have a picture of Michael. In my <laughs> I love that. Um, but Andy, uh, Andy was a coach at uh, Casty School, and he, you know, when I came into town, he, you know, we connected, and he he wanted to run a summer camp, and so we ran a, a summer camp. It was called Elite Soccer, and we did that two years, um, starting in 2015, I think was a year. And our second year was when Cody, um, you know, me and Cody developed a really good friendship. We both got involved in rec, um, soccer, you know, coaching. We, we, we both love it and we've coached mm-hmm. in Kansas city. We've coached here. Um, but I felt like Cody had a lot to bring to the table and I talked to Andy about, you know, Hey, let's, let's see if there's something more that we could do with Cody. And Cody and I just then sat down and then we kind of had the conversation about um something that we a pain that we felt like we saw in the market um and that's when cody got involved with what at the time was elite soccer and mm-hmm. then if you want to go from here about kind of what elite yeah. soccer and soccer allies soccer is now. allies now so elite elite soccer turned into soccer allies uh and really what we started seeing is um the recreational so we coach recreational and love it so i still coach the same rec boys that i had uh, four years ago. So I had them at seven years old yeah, and, uh, awesome. they were playing four v four rec soccer. And, um, we have a certain kind of philosophy at that age, whether, you know, whether it's the best philosophy or the worst philosophy, it's kind of what I believe. And, um, what we started seeing is, and Michael shares a pretty similar philosophy. And what we started seeing is, is, uh, our, our boys started having a lot of success. Um, whether, whether it was because of us, whether it was because of the kids just being better, whatever that is, but we started having a lot of success. Uh, and over the course of a couple seasons and, uh, we started getting a lot of attention from other, you know, cause you know, when I was, I said, you know, my, my coach was a dentist, which is typical of, of recreational coaches. They're not typically soccer background guys or volunteer coaches. They don't have a super strong background, uh, in soccer or development. So we started getting a lot of conversations from, um, different parents like, Hey, like, you know, what are you guys doing? Um, we, I mean, we were just, we were winning a lot of games by big numbers and not that that's what's important because it's not what is important. It's a consequence of, of kids wanting to play and, and starting to do the right things. Um, and so they, you know, people started asking us about it and we felt, we felt like, um, you know, there, there might be a, a chance for us to help really support the recreational community. And, um, and our thought process at the time was, is if we can get kids to feel success and we can get kids to want to play soccer, then consequently they'll want to be in the system longer. I say the mm-hmm. system, right? They go through academy, go to club, do all these things and stay, stay in the game playing longer and then give themselves the opportunity to, to be good if they wanted to be good. Uh, what we saw is that we see a lot of kids in Oklahoma, especially leave soccer for other sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
if we dive into the whys behind that, I think a lot of the reason is, is, you know, if you have a, yeah, my, a lot of my boys that play on my soccer team, it's not my soccer team, it's, it's their soccer team. I'm just helping out with it. Um, they also play baseball and basketball and football and other things. Um, and the question is, is if, <clears throat> if, and a lot of those dads know how to coach football and a lot of those dads know how to coach baseball and a lot of those dads know how to coach basketball and they're typically the coaches and they do a great job of coaching that mm-hmm. uh, soccer seems to be a bit out there in terms of how kids are developing and and what what's the rights and the wrongs and how do you get kids to really enjoy the game because it is different skill set than um I would say the the top three three sports in in, in the U.S. here. Yeah. So, um, and so we just did, we just went all in. We we were like we started thinking like, is there a way to you know just talk to these um, uh, volunteer coaches and bring them in, kind of just show them what we're doing, almost like a seminar for an hour and a half or two hours. Here's how we communicate. Here's why we do the things that we do. Um, I don't know if it's I don't you know if, if this is why we have success. This is what we're doing type of thing. Right. Um, and that we, we explored that idea for a little bit. And really what happens is, is that there's just a disconnect between our conversation. And then when they go back out into the practice field with their team or in their games. Um, and so we're just like, well, I think the next best step would just to be that invite these kids to come out and we'll coach them. And then we'll bring the volunteer coaches onto the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they can watch how we do this, uh, in a very chronological order. And maybe, maybe that they'll take that back to their practices and their games or whatever. And they'll start seeing the same success we have seen. Um, and that's, and that's really where it formed. It was, it was, you know, how do we get the kids to enjoy the game? You know, is it via success? Is it via because they just like playing with their friends and whatever it is, and then um, start building on that. So fast forward two years later, uh, we have we we've built a couple kind of core curriculum centered around individual development. It's not yeah. we don't do anything team related. It's just getting the individual feeling more comfortable when they go out to their their practice. At, and really, we're just targeting. I'd say targeting. We're we're really just focusing on uh, recreational, lower level, competitive academy um, kids who. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm, I coach for a competitive team right now, and I can tell you the, the majority of the time I spend with those kids, we practice twice a week for an hour and a half. I can't spend a whole lot of individual time right. with those guys developing certain skill sets. It's it's we have to work together as a team. Team drills. Team yeah. drills. You know, it's like well, let's let's talk about that. And typically, I've just done individual development. That's I've you've had to shift as you get into higher level of competition, mm-hmm. just because everybody's a, a solid player at that point. And you have to work together as a team to win those things if if winning is your goal. Yeah. And um, so that's what we started. And now we're seeing, um, I mean, there's, it's just grown like crazy. It's just, it's been, um, you know, we've, it's just grown like nuts. So we see, you know, anywhere from um, 30 to 50 kids uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Yeah. Uh, every, and so we run these clinics and it's, you know, you can come when you want. You don't have, there's no like structured schedule. It's, you know, if I want extra training or want to get extra touches in, um, they can do that and it's all concept based. So we, we structured it very similar to like a karate belt curriculum, okay. which is, uh, there's, you know, you start the white belt for this analogy and, uh, you move up to the next belt, the next belt, belt but every level has a concept associated with it. And gotcha. what we, what we've tried to put together, um, and we spend a lot of time trying to figure out the best way of doing this is building individual skill sets in a chronological order that would make somebody a, a good dribbler or yeah. a good passer. Things that we've used at the professional level that worked against guys um, who got paid not to get beat, you yeah. know, and um, as you, if, it, if it works and that was my rationale for it. if it works at these levels, 
it's probably going to work at the kiddos levels. Right. And can they have success doing it if they just try and fail and be okay doing that? Yeah. Um, and that's really what it is. It's just being okay with kids screwing this up and not getting on them right. because it's about them wanting to play the game, not about should is my dad going to get mad at me if right. I miss a, if I miss this dribble? Or is my coach going to yell at me because we didn't score a goal? And at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, mm-hmm. you just want the kids enjoying the game. And and if they feel like they're good at it, I, everyone likes doing stuff they're good at. And I know I'm kind of going on a rant here, but that's really where our focus was. Feel like you're good at it. Be okay with failing. Try, 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 try. Eventually, it's going to work, and you're going to feel it, and it's going to be awesome, and you're going to love playing the game, which is uh, really the essence, the heart of Soccer Allies. Yeah. So is this like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday year round, or is it during the summer? Year round. Year round. Yeah. So we've been okay. doing this year round. So it's what, 46 weeks, basically? Yeah. 48, 48 weeks. That's, that's we, awesome. And so, yeah, that's what yeah. we do. And then they get used to, like I said, failing, or they get used to playing from a young age to, you know, going through all these steps and all these, like your analogy, different levels. And then when they get to college level, like they're ready you know yeah and and a lot of that's the team stuff you know so i mean i mean you just the coaches in the club soccer um if if a kid decides that they want to be good kind of like i go back to my and 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 honestly part of the birth of this uh soccer allies program was because of my because of me right Mm -hmm. not not necessarily because of michael but because of my story i went to a second team after leaving rec soccer and i was the i was legitimately the worst kid right uh, and I was, and it was terrible. Like it's I, probably like when you watch kids play soccer now or football, they run around like bees. Everybody chases the ball, right? Yeah, young, no at the, at the young, at, at the, the young age, age there's yeah. no structure to it. Yeah, so. but it, it, but that's the thing. If you're trying to put structure on a seven year old or eight year old, yeah, in terms of passing and moving and all the things that we know are very very important at a, a high competitive level, um, if you try that at seven, and you figure it out call me because I'm very interested <laughs> to hear how you accomplish that. Yeah. It's, it's a very tough thing. I, I would argue almost impossible right. to get kids to understand spacing. And con- I mean, if you, if your game is dependent on other kids being good at controlling and passing the ball, which is what team soccer is. Yeah. Um, good luck. Yeah. I, I, I don't know I, if you can figure that out. Mm call us and is most call of the Cody. kids yeah most of the kids that come to you is it like a 50 50 uh male female or is, is there a yeah it is yeah okay. it's, it's it's split yeah, yeah and i i just want to kind of take one step back to in terms of i think the name speaks for itself soccer allies um one thing that we've always you know tried to be consistent with is is our messaging that we're sending to uh you know just to our to our current customers and to the community is that again we are here for the players um, we are here for them to to gain confidence in their ability so that they stay in the game longer um, one of the best things about what we did at the very beginning was that a lot of the kids the first two or three months we have to be honest with ourselves a lot of the kids that came out to our clinics were kids that we knew yeah yeah kids that yeah. Uh, Cody coach kids that Michael coach and before you know it they invited some friends to just enjoy it and then their friends really enjoyed it and they saw not just not just enjoyed the clinic to enjoy the clinic but they saw growth in their game after two three four clinics right and so the word just the best part about it is that we've just we've grown organically you know mm-hmm. we've grown through word of mouth we don't do a lot of you know online marketing or anything like that we just we want to be allies for everybody who is in this community we want to be an outlet for them to get away from that you know team structure or helicopter parenting or mm-hmm. you know joystick coaching so that they truly can fall in love with the game and hopefully they stay in the game for another year 
or hopefully for another five years, or hopefully they play in high school. Hopefully they play in college. Maybe they play professionally, but we want to keep them in the game for another, for another week. We want to keep them in the game for another week. We want them to fall in love with the game. So that's where I I just, uh, where I wanted to sorry butt in real quick, just because, um, you know, the, the feedback that we've gotten from our program in terms of how, um, how much we have invested in, you know, in, in the in the what the knowledge of the game, the kids have you know grown immensely. There's there's a girl who um, went through our program, and she's one of our biggest fans, um, and she's the epitome of soccer allies because she came two years ago and you know was a seven year old and playing in our open play at the time against you know nine year old uh, boys on Cody's team who were just dominating. Before you know it, two years later, this girl who was actually on my team for a bit, they just moved away. Their family moved away. Got a postcard in the mail, mm-hmm. you know, last week saying, you know, Coach Michael, like miss uh, miss you guys so much. Blah blah blah. Um, our coach up here has been so impressed with my ability to take players on and my mm-hmm. foot skills, and asking where we've learned this. You know, yeah. little things like that that make us feel we know. I know that we made a difference in her life, you know, for right now. Mm-hmm. And whether that translates into her playing for another five years or for her just having more confidence in the classroom, that's what we're here for. Yeah. We yeah. use we use soccer, you know, as an as as an avenue for these kids to gain more confidence in their ability. So mm-hmm. sorry, I think I just, that's a great. I think that's a great point. The um, the two things, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of really good coaches in Oklahoma City, right? And it's getting better and better. There's and some, much better than us. Much better, <laughs> to, much better than us. We know um, that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. That, not even a question. Um, the, the one of the issues that we saw really early on is that you know, as a professional player, people would come. Hey, can I get can I get privates from you? Can I do this? And um, you know, the the kind of going rate for those individuals are anywhere from fifty to seventy bucks an hour, yeah. uh, depending on who you are and you know how much you do. And um, you know, that's great for a a player to you know schedule out three or four privates a day or whatever that is. And, yeah. and, and, and I mean, it's it's great, right? You can, you can supplement a lot of your um, income or whatever your is that you know if you're playing in the USL, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but we wanted to solve that problem because I thought that was. Um, we thought that that was a tough, tough thing for a lot of people to do. Uh, we wanted to make it more available for everybody and transparent in that sense. And so that was in structuring it in a way that that could be possible mm-hmm. because we have field fees and we have a lot of coaches fees and we have, I mean, we have a lot of expenses. Um, so how do you make that possible and, and provide that opportunity for everybody? And that structure that we have put in place allows it to happen. Um, and that, yeah, and that, yeah. There was something else I was going to say, but I'll, I'll hold it. But yeah. yeah. So what, I mean, since the energy has been here, obviously, you know, soccer in this city has just grown massively. Mm-hmm. Where do you see it going now? What's like future plans? I hope they, I hope that everyone in the city gets behind maps Four. Yeah. I mean, if they, for that new the, stadium. Yeah. And this, I mean, I, I hope this reaches a lot of people, uh, maps Four the, downtown stadium will change Oklahoma city for the better. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just, um, I can't, I can't say it enough. It's going to, it would be absolutely phenomenal. If there's a downtown stadium, um, you best believe that there's coming a, a lot more investment in teams. I, I mean, you look at the team now and I'll give, uh, energy, a lot of credit. The players on that team are, mm-hmm. people don't understand how high of a level it is. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really top talent team. Yeah. Um, 
probably better than any team in terms of talent mm-hmm. on, on paper mm-hmm. um, than, you know, I've ever played on. Uh, it's this, you know, you got to give props to Steve Cook to bring those guys in and the ownership group to, you know, allow them to do right. that. Um, a really, really strong team. So it's only going to get better. And the way that we do that is that we get behind this team as a city. Uh, and it, it, if any, I don't know what the worries would be for people not to do this. Um, but whatever worries it would be, I would... I would just consider, you know, really diving into that and, and hopping on maps for and, yeah. and voting yes for it because it's gonna it's gonna be unbelievable what it does for the city. Mm-hmm. Firm believer in that. And when does that vote go out? It's recent. It's pretty soon, right? <clears throat> yeah. So they just had. Uh, was it last Tuesday? Two Tuesdays ago? Yeah. They just two Tuesdays ago. Almost two weeks ago. Almost yeah. two weeks ago. They just uh, sent. I mean, I, I I don't know the correct vernacular for it, but it's uh, they had a basically a proposal or a conversation presentation. in front of presentation okay. in front of the councilmen, uh, all, all this uh, council the ward members. Are, right. Yeah. Um, and it's just an open dialogue. They get to discuss, you know, all those things. And I thought it went really, really well. Um, you know, and, and that's cool. You know, Tim, Tim McLaughlin and those guys still engage us. Like, hey, you know, I, you're not part of the team anymore, but we, you're in the city. We love you guys. Come on out, support this, all this. Stuff. You know, it's, right. we still have a sense of um, participation with mm-hmm. the club. And I, I don't know if that will ever leave. So, and, and, and so that was that. I don't know when everyone goes back to vote on it. Um, but just stay tuned, yeah. you know, just stay in touch with that. Yeah, I think it'd be great because, like, you know, the, it's not just going to be a soccer stadium. No, right? you it's know, not. You, you can have concerts there. You can have anything there, right? It's just I think it just adds to the growth of the city, what we have here. And it's just what we don't have, right? We don't have, like, Taft has been great. It's been great to host. But at the same time, it's a little smaller than standard mm-hmm. size, which is the main reason for you guys having to move. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I don't know it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a real home to the energy mm-hmm. does it whereas like this new stadium will be like okay like this is we are part of the city we now have our own space yeah. like, this is home everyone else can use it kind of thing yeah uh, well, and I think from a from a youth soccer player perspective um, you know I I I I sp- or spoke a little bit last week or talked, I shot a little video just about my two cents about the MAPS 4 presentation. And I likened a lot of, you know, uh, what Oklahoma Oklahoma City can be compared Mm -hmm. to Kansas City, of course. Um, But they've invested so much into their youth soccer. um, And Oklahoma City has done a great job of that as well. Um, But what they've done is this, this, the soccer specific stadium in Kansas City, the environment there is incredible. And yeah, they play, you know, in the MLS. But at the same time, these kids going to an, an environment or a one-day event like that and actually seeing that, you know, this is something that I want to aspire to and be proud to play in. Right. Not that kids aren't going to be proud to play in Taft. Believe me, I was very proud to play there. But at the end of the day, it's just it gets it can get old. So going to... Again, it's not going to be soccer specific, but going to an environment like that where there's 10,000, 12,000 yeah. people, you know, the chance, the grid's fanting a little bit more. The, the, the surroundings around the whole city or at the whole stadium is just the, the level is lifted that much more. Kids will then hopefully, hopefully yeah. want to play that much longer Again, kind of going back to our philosophy, but hopefully play that much longer and not go to Kansas City and not go to Dallas, but see that, right. okay, I could be playing in my hometown, downtown Oklahoma City in front of 10, 15,000 fans, maybe 10 years from now, maybe five years from now, whatever their age is. Yeah. And actually seeing that firsthand changes their perspective like that. Yeah. And nobody's seen that in Oklahoma City. No, they haven't. You're and right. They've gotten used to kind of this, com- not complacency, but they've gotten used to this smaller feel it is what it is and it's a okay yeah. it's the usl whatever it is but at the same time like cody said these these 
these players that are on the energy, they deserve to play in a, a stadium mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Because these kids who are seeing, um, you know, a Rafa Garcia mm -hmm. um, right now, who's an incredible player, Cody Lorendi right now mm -hmm. at Taft, it's just, they're just going through the motions. You know, right. if they see them at, at, on, on a bigger stage, I think it just makes, it makes them feel that much more appreciated as players from the first team but also mm -hmm. that these guys deserve mm -hmm. to be there and yeah. the, the youth players will hopefully want to be there that much more too so yeah, that's a great point and soccer is going nowhere that's like what i always get what's to. the world's game it's isn't it? oklahoma city whether we get a stadium or not yeah soccer is going nowhere in oklahoma city so that's where it's, it's only like going to grow regardless of the stadium or not we yeah. either jump on the train and go with it or we're going to sit here from it and or, be, oh it happens in maps five or it happens <laughs> yeah. like why, yeah. why hasn't this happened sooner right yeah. um, exactly but yeah, I mean, this has been great, boys. I, I really appreciate the time and you sharing your story. Um, how can people get involved with Soccer Allies? Where can they reach out? Where can they follow? How can they get their kids in into the into the programs? Uh, SoccerAllies.com. Okay. Uh, it, we we uh, are currently kind of revamping our website, um, but it, that should be rolled out here in the next week. It has all of our information um, on it. We have uh, really three core programs. Uh, that all that all kind of work together and um, for ages four to really 13 is, is once again our kind of focus so uh, if it's of interest to you and you want to check it out we'd love to see you um, yeah yeah we'd love to see you me and Michael are, are always out there we have um, you know we have a great relationship with a lot of the energy guys a lot of the energy guys coach with us um, and I mean they're phenomenal and you know so it, it's really good really good yeah awesome yeah well great uh yeah again thanks so much for you know for taking the time and, and for what you've done and for what you've done helping the city and soccer become what it is today you know like i said you're getting that postcard you know it means you're truly changing lives and it's not about soccer in general it's just about using soccer to make sure that people kids grow their confidence and stuff like that so i appreciate what you guys do and yeah uh thanks for listening guys and we'll definitely uh post all the links below and so check those out and hopefully the boys will see you out on the field soon or see your kids out there um yeah so really appreciate it catch you next week cheers thanks mike thank you thank you for listening we are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram. This podcast was produced by Mike Hearn and Ian Weston, mixed by Alan Brown, with music by Chad Duro.